Welcome to The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and with me as always is Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to the program. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Today we're going to be talking all about auditions. Of course, last week we released an episode all about how to do professional auditions, how to get ready to do a major symphony. And today we're going to take it back a notch, Gabe, and we're going to talk about colleges, high schools, and mostly from a teacher's point of view, how do you get your students ready? I'm excited about this, but before we get into today's topic, Gabe, what kind of feedback did you have from last week's episode? I know you had a few friends that are in that auditioning phase, what did they think about the episode? Yeah, they thought it was really, really informative and, uh, you know, useful for, you know, helping to prep them for, for their own auditions. Um, as well, you know, there there's a lot, we'll be talking about this today, uh, that there's a lot of crossover with the, you know, the different kinds of auditions that we're gonna be talking about today. We had somebody actually write into the show over at GabrielGordon.net and say thank you, actually, because they weren't always thinking of the fact that sometimes an audition in a professional level is behind a curtain. Um, sometimes, like in a college and university, as we're going to hit today, it's mostly just walk into the professor's office and start to play or walk on stage. But. You know, to get back to what we were talking about last week, when you are in a professional situation, you often have to play behind a curtain to make it completely equal and fair to everybody. Yeah, that's that that's what they they try to do. Uh, it's really important, uh, you know, especially when you have jobs at stake uh, to be able to at least say, you know, we did this as you know best we could to make sure that you know it doesn't matter. Um, who's behind the curtain. It just matters how you play. We did have one question come in. And of course, if you guys have any questions, check out over on, on our website over at gabrielgordon.net. Gabe, I wanted to bring this up. If you're doing a blind audition and you're just listening to somebody, are you able to determine the difference between the player and the cost of the instrument? Well, sometimes, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I've written down in, in some high school auditions uh, I've I've written down uh, you know this this player needs a better instrument uh, when when it's when it's pretty obvious uh, that the player is is a really good you know player and uh, you know they they're playing on something that's they're straining to get a better sound on you can definitely tell that difference that's for sure in a professional audition though you're listening for the sound you're trying to say does that oboe sound like it can fit into the boston philharmonic or something like that right um that's you know or would you come up with the idea that at a professional level all instruments are made the same obviously a violin could cost anywhere between a hundred thousand dollars and up and not or what where, where is that difference do you think i mean because you and i can both go into the same audition playing the same exact piece your instrument is worth three times as much would i get the audition nod would you get the audition nod well it really does depend i mean like for instance if you're playing a brass instrument uh you know the chicago symphony requires that you buy a specific trumpet uh, in order to be able to play and mix well in that brass action. Obviously, that's that's not going to be the case in a college or a, or a high school audition. Uh, 
you know, for stringed instruments on the professional level, you have to have a an instrument on on a certain level. Uh, you know, that can be a modern instrument that's you know merely worth thirty thousand uh, dollars. You know, going all the way up to you know one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand. But if you're talking about uh, you know a high school. Uh, you know, or a college audition, really the difference is between having one of those student-made instruments that's, you know, mostly made in a factory um, or uh, having a, you know, a handmade instrument that's made out of real wood and not out of plywood. Uh, that's really the main difference. Uh, if, you're, if your instrument is one of those student instruments and you're playing pretty seriously, uh, you probably want to upgrade uh, your instrument there. Now, last question here that came in, and this is something I've always wondered about. I'm not even sure if, if you know this information here. Um, have you ever been in a situation as a violinist or as a conductor where an orchestra, um, I, I don't want to say loans you an instrument, grants you an instrument, or, you know, like I, I've seen situations where like the concert master of this plays the Stradivarius because the orchestra owns the Stradivarius. Um, how does that work? Do you know anything about that kind of a world where because you're in the group, you get the, you know, you, you get the monster sized instruments? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I was with the New Jersey Symphony when they made uh, a huge purchase uh, to actually get a whole lot of really fine instruments uh, for the entire string section uh, that they would play exclusively with the New Jersey Symphony. And I can tell you, I was sitting there when they first tried them out and and it really did change the sound of the orchestra dramatically and you know that that's true for individuals too and even on the high school level um when i was with the albuquerque youth symphony program uh we loaned out instruments to individuals who we felt were you know not playing on an instrument that lived up to their potential and we had some better instruments that were there and I would go up to the student and say, hey, you want to you want to plan something better? And they, they hardly ever said no. So it was it was a great privilege to be able to do that. Um, most high school programs uh, don't have access uh, to those kinds of instruments. Um, but, you know, when when you can get access to those instruments, it's great to be able to offer them to students. You know, you mentioned high school, and let's kind of shift into those topics here because there is a difference um, in high school level, K to 12, college level auditions, and, and of course, professional. Um, I would actually push back on what you said a little bit and say oftentimes high schoolers are handing out instruments to students because what student has a contrabassoon? But every district ensemble needs a timpani, contrabassoon, bass trombone, um, instruments such as that. What do you see as the major difference? If we can just kind of go between the high school, college, you know, uh, professional, what is the big difference between preparing for an audition um, between these three different levels? Well, I would say it's, it's, it's a matter of what the person or what the people are looking for. So You've got auditions, say, for seating and, uh, you know, in your in your band or your orchestra. And in some orchestras, they offer what are called challenges where, you know, somebody feels like, oh, you know, I had a bad day. 
um, auditioning for my chair and I don't feel like that person is really better than me. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, challenge that person and, and the, the teachers then have, have this audition where uh, the, the two students are, you know, basically pit against each other. And there's, there's a competition, hopefully friendly competition in, in this particular case. Uh, and, you know, what you do to prep for that is to, again, really just make sure that every single aspect of that excerpt, generally when you're, you know, doing a seating challenge, it's just like one little excerpt of the piece that you're working on. Uh, and you make sure that every single aspect of that excerpt is absolutely perfect in every single way. You kind of obsess over it, really, especially when it's that focused and concentrated. Uh, in a sense, those seating auditions are harder than, than in, in some ways than, than the professional auditions because you don't, you don't have another chance to like make up for what you did in the previous piece. <laughs> you know, if, if you do it, it's just one chance and that's it. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I, I, you know, some of us live in that world. Some of us don't. Um, I remember being in high school and say the concert master, uh, you know, graduates and now there's an audition to see who the concert master is, or maybe the person who was the junior in chair two is now the senior in chair one. But right. professional orchestras don't work that way. Your job is chair number six viola, right? That is that is that the right way of looking at it? Exactly. As a matter of fact, there are in some cases, and it's it's unfortunate uh, to be able to say this, where you know the best player in the professional orchestra is the last chair second violin, uh, and that can happen simply because a, a concert master who you know hopefully hopefully most players and this is true in, in most professional orchestras they keep their skills up and you know they continue continue to to practice uh but in some cases uh you know there are some some people who let their skills go because they get they get too comfortable and so uh their skills are not quite as good as the brand new a uh, violinist who just came in from the conservatory. And so that person, you know, they, they auditioned for the last chair in the second violin. That's the chair that they get. Uh, when, you're in, when you're in high school, uh, it's a completely different story. Now, am I correct in thinking some professional orchestras, and I, I think Philly's one of them, they do rotating on their seating? I mean, I know like their principal first, principal second, those are set, but Right. Am I correct in thinking in the middle they do switch around depending on the piece or depending on you know who's available for the concert or and and that 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 just really depends on on the individual orchestra and their uh, their way of doing things. Uh, there are some orchestras that rotate their seating uh, internally uh, for for you know a few players in the middle there. Uh, and you know, each of the principals has their own separate contract. Uh, I myself in in uh, the Albuquerque Youth Symphony program actually did a rotating seating where um, everybody rotated every single week. So one week um, 
you could be sitting in the first stand and the next week you would be sitting in the back stand. And so gave all of the students a, uh, you know, a different take on what seating meant and, you know, frankly, what, uh, how important every single uh, person in, in the, and I did that with the winds too. Uh, there wasn't a, a principal flute. There were uh, four flute players, each of whom got a chance to play principal, second, and third flute and doublet. Well, how does that work in the professional world? Um, you know, if you are the principal oboe player and you need the week off, um, oboe two doesn't slide in, right? There's a substitute principal oboe. Well, and, and th that also depends. Usually there's a substitute principal, um, but in some cases they move up, they move up the, the second oboe and they find a second. And, you know, that just also depends on the resources in the area. Um, there might not be another principal oboe uh, quality person in the area. And so they'll move up the, the, you know, the second oboe in order to do that. It also depends on the contract that they have with the union and how that works. Uh, it's really, you know, much more, it's much more complicated in, in the orchestral world than it is in, in high school. Uh, in high school, you want to give the students a great experience and have them have fun. Um, in the professional world, uh, it's really, you know, more about fairness on the job. And that's that's a completely different take. Well, let's take a look at what these three levels, high school, college professionals have in common. Um, yeah. I recommend that if you're going for an audition at any level, you have a mentor in your life, you have a teacher, um, you have somebody that's gonna help you out. And obviously a teacher working with a high school, middle school student is different than a teacher working with a uh, professional. I would assume, and I, you know, coming from the opera world, all of these major singers have teachers that are working with them constantly, even though they are professionals. Um, what's your take on this? You know, you've helped students get into districts, all states, universities, and things like that. How do you, as a teacher, um, work with these different levels of students to prepare them for their audition needs? So, you know, each level of audition is looking for something else, it, you know, something, something different. If you're auditioning for, you know, say a group, uh, you know, in, in high school, um, they're looking for a certain level of player. And so the, the rubric is, is, you know, just looking at like your basic rhythm, your basic intonation, you know, how your basic sound is, those, those kinds of things are what they're looking for. And so, uh, you know, they might have uh, a piece that you want to play, but they're also maybe, you know, uh, asking for a scale. Most likely they're going to be asking for a scale. So you want to work on your scale in a certain way and you want to accent certain things. If you're doing a seating challenge, you're working on that one little excerpt that, you know, may take 10 or 15 seconds, the longest 10 or 15 seconds of your life. Or, or the other person's life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. And uh, so you want to make sure that everything about that one little thing is completely accurate. If you are doing a college audition, um, you actually want to walk in as a student 
and you want to put your best foot forward, but really the much more important thing about the college audition is being teachable because the vast majority of those auditions are done uh, in front of in front of a panel where you know there are a bunch of teachers there and they're all considering you as a student. And so one of one of their main considerations is, you know, is is this somebody I would want to teach? So you want to prepare in a slightly different way uh, when it comes to that. And with the professional auditions, as we, you know, talked about last week, um, you know, that's that's just on on a different level. And there, there are different things you want to go for that. Uh, generally, uh, for those things, you're going to be playing the same exact repertoire over and over again. Uh, and you want to really build your repertoire in that way and kind of get prepared for the long haul. So it's not, you know, every single audition you take is, you know, it's, it's not like that seating audition where 15 seconds really matters. You are going to be taking 15, 20, 25 auditions within the space of a year, and you just keep on doing that. It's a completely different mindset. You know, thinking as a high school student going to doing all of my college auditions, you know, and I think we mentioned this last week, you know, you have three different styles of pieces you need to know. And and I would say for the majority of high school musicians, they know their district pieces. They know they're fast, they're medium, they're slow, all those different right. things, broke, romantic. Um, I, I would say it's fair to say that the average high school student is not going towards a conservatory. Um, they're going for a nice music program. Um, right. I, I want to talk district level stuff in a second here, but when you do bring yourself into that college or university, what advice do you have for those students? Do you go and try to make friends with the teachers? Do you go and, and, and you know, hang out, be isolated? Because many of the people that are out there trying out for these universities, their only audition experience is back home in district orchestra, where right. they have all of their friends with them and they can talk and then they go into a room and we'll hit that in a couple seconds. But, you know, now you're in a new pond. And you're yeah. kind of isolated yeah. and you're, you know, you might see somebody that, you know, but chances are you don't. Exactly. And especially if you're you're going on, on the conservatory route, um, there are going to be people from across the country that are there uh, to audition with you. And, you know, really, um, the, the advice I give to, you know, kids who are auditioning for colleges, universities and conservatories, uh, you know, very often they'll. They, they might give you a specific list of repertoire, but most of them don't. They'll say, I want, you know, something contrasting, uh, you know, some Bach or a concerto. Uh, and some of them might ask for a scale on the university level. Very often they don't ask for a scale. Um, but, you know, prepare your music, take your best stuff. It doesn't really uh, necessarily matter that, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a concerto. Um, if it's if you're supposed to prepare a concerto, don't prepare an etude. That's not what they're looking for. Uh, but you really want to make sure you put your best foot forward. It doesn't 
Uh, you know, if you are prepared to play uh, meditation from Thais, that is probably as good as a slow movement from a concerto. You don't really, you know, have to adhere to a strict rule. Play what you play best under those circumstances. And yes, walk in and, you know, smile and be friendly and, uh, you know, don't be too casual, you know, make sure that you're, you're dressed well for the audition. They're going to be looking at you uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, again, make a connection, make some kind of connection with them. Don't just be all business. You want to be, you want to make that connection with them because that makes them want to be uh, your teacher in that case. What, should your goals be for any audition as a student outside of making the audition? Um, you know, I've done many auditions where win or lose, I want to come out of this audition with my head held high learning from the experience. What are some of the things that we should be thinking about as we go into these different opportunities? You know, it's funny. I, you know, there, there were a, a lot of people in Albuquerque who asked me why I didn't do uh, reseeding auditions for you know certain passages in uh, you know in that the you know the students were having trouble with uh, and um, I said you know they have to take one audition uh, a year no matter what uh, to get into the group uh, and uh, I I just don't like giving students nightmares you know <laughs> I'm not into that uh, and I know that there are a lot of students. Who are are just there because you know they just want to you know have a wonderful musical experience and uh coming into these auditions it's a lot of pressure um so I, you know my my best advice is when you walk into the audition don't think about the goal if your goal is to just get into a group uh, in order to have fun, absolutely don't, you know, don't necessarily think about that goal. Think about walking into the audition and just playing the music and having as much fun as you possibly can. It's, I, I know that hopes and dreams are, uh, you know, attached to this, uh, but uh, really what you want to be thinking about is what's, what's happening in the moment. What do I do next? What's my next shift? How do I breathe into my instrument? Um, just focusing on what you need to do next and not thinking about what the goal, and that's across the board, absolutely. On every single level, you want to be thinking about what your next challenge is going to be, not what the result is going to be. You know, just thinking about what you just said here and getting back to the teaching um topic from a few minutes ago if you're a parent should you be getting your student additional lessons to prepare should you be getting your student additional teachers to prepare is that overthinking it and you can break that down district versus college versus whatever level but um you know should you be looking for second opinions on things or not i i don't see why not i mean if you have a main teacher uh, certainly let them know first uh, that that's what you want to do. There are some teachers uh, like myself who say, yeah, go ahead and, and 
you know, get as many opinions, play for as many people as possible. That's another huge strategy, actually, for uh, preparing for auditions. Play, play for I, <laughs> when when my my uh, kids were just starting out on violin, they were preparing for their first recital. My my daughter was playing violin and my son was playing cello. I had them play for their stuffies uh in in you know in the living room um play for as many people as possible uh and put yourself in that position uh so that you get used to uh the pressure and if we're talking about teachers great you know get as many opinions as you want there are other teachers who will absolutely say if you want to study with another teacher then you can go just study with them and not study with me anymore that's just how they feel about it well that was my next question is the anxiety of this and it's the as a teacher do you be proactive and say hey you know what you've got an audition here's a friend of mine go learn with them for a couple of weeks and then come on back because you're confident in yourself or do you sit there and go oh my goodness i might be losing a student because i've taken them to this level Talk to us a little bit about that from the teacher's point of view. I've been on both. Um, you know, my wife and I have shared students back and forth. And of course, um, I've gone to friends, uh, you included, and said, hey, would you listen to this student of mine and help her out? Um, right. And and how, how do you take that or how do you work that out as a teacher who this is your business? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say. Um, you really need to have confidence in your relationship with the student as well as your teaching abilities. And, you know, you really need to focus on the needs of the student. If uh, it's going to do the student uh, some good in order to play for somebody else, uh, then I would say it's actually your job to recommend that. Uh, and, uh, you know, while it's your business, uh, you know, one student, if one student is going to make or break your business, then I think you need to, uh, you know, probably change your business model uh, because you can get other students. Uh, eventually, they will come back to your studio. But even more important than that, um, you really need to have confidence in your own ability and put your students' needs first when it comes to that. Uh, when you, again, when you're preparing for an audition, if the uh, person uh, needs that experience in playing for different people, I, I always tell them, play for your friends, play for your family, play for your enemies. If you want to play for uh, you know another teacher, go right ahead, get another opinion. Uh, play for as many people as possible so that when you walk into that room, you're used to playing up for other people. I totally agree with that. It's not easy and you do have those little angsts about stuff, but you, you get that anywhere of making sure that your student is taken care of and your student is well prepared for. And Gabe, you know, in the last two weeks, we've talked about auditions from that uh, district point of view, from the high school, college, professional. Here's the tough question for you. Your opinion of all of this, I know is based off the fact that you're a violinist and there's 30 violin auditions, right? Right. Do you think your mind would be a little different on this subject if, say, you were a bassoon player and there was one seat that 30 people were going for? 
Well, no, I mean, actually, it, it the there are, uh, you, and you're talking, I'm sorry, you're talking about the high school level. Anything. Uh, I mean, we're, we're used to, there's, you know, there's 12 viola seats up for grabs, as opposed to there's one bassoon sh- uh, seat. Well, on the professional level, um, there there's generally only one seat uh, that's available. Uh, and actually probably about, depending on the orchestra, about 300 people who are going for that one seat. Uh, so on the professional level, there's really no difference between between the, the bassoonist and the violinist. Uh, when you're talking about, uh, you know, say a high school orchestra where in, in Albuquerque, we used to re-audition, I think they still do this, uh, where they re-audition every single year. Uh, even if you were in the orchestra last year, you still had to re-audition uh, for the orchestra. And so the orchestra was reformed every year. So yeah, you had uh, you know 30 or 40 uh, seats that were available in there. Um, but uh, you know, I, th- I would say your mindset needs to be the same. Go in there and play your absolute best. Uh, and actually, in in Albuquerque, I think we're we were one of the only youth symphonies really in the country. We did do blind auditions behind a screen mm. uh, that way, and uh, so you know there was a lot of pressure. Now we we always had um, somebody who was there to help you know, the student out and encourage them and, and make them feel comfortable, as comfortable as possible under those circumstances. Um, and, you know, that was another reason why I didn't want to do, you know, other uh, seating auditions throughout the throughout the year because, you know, it's like, you know, we put them through a tough ringer, you know, at least once a year um, already. But the point is, is that when, when you walk in, you go in and you focus on exactly what you are doing in that moment and just do your best. If you are good enough to get into that orchestra and there are 40 seats available, you're going to get in. That's that's all there is to it. And, you know, as as the person listening to auditions, um, I'm always listening for potential. That's one of the also bigger differences between the high school audition and the professional audition. In the professional audition, I am listening. I'm actually looking for an excuse to get rid of you, actually. I'm trying to pare things down. It's like, oh, one mistake, you're out. I'm sorry, that's it. Uh, in high school, I'm listening for potential. As you as you pointed out um, you know, earlier in the conversation, I can hear if that student needs a better instrument and I'll actually write that down on on my audition uh, rubric and say, boy, this this person's pretty good, and and you know they need they need a better instrument. So I'm I'm listening for different things under those circumstances, and I pretty much guarantee that if if you are good enough to play in this group, you're going to get in. We would like to know what you guys think about this subject. You can, of course, reach out to us over on GabrielGordon.net. And, of course, please take a moment and hit that subscribe and like button wherever you are. This is The Art of Listening. We are available on all major podcast platforms from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
even Amazon. We are there for you guys each and every week. Gabe, you've got some great things coming up on your YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about some of the new things. I saw an entire series recently pop out all about student violin players. What are you doing over there with those wonderful etudes? Yeah, so I decided to start going through the old etudes uh, and uh, kind of work my way up. So uh, I've got a lot of Wolfhart etudes, starting with uh, number one, the first the first 30 etudes are up are up on, on my YouTube channel. Now you can see most of them. I'm actually doing uh, two a week and really just demonstrating uh, how to play them correctly and what the what the right tempo is and what the potential is uh, for them to sound and uh, actually be musical uh, with some of them. So uh, you can look for those. And uh, I have my... Uh, slow movement of the Bach double uh, that's already up there. And if you look for those, you'll find all my other videos up there. And I'm, I'm putting up a new video every week or two up there. Very, very cool. And of course, you can find out all that stuff over at The Art of Listening if you look at your podcast player. Or of course, check out everything over at GabrielGordon.net. And Gabe, let's wrap up the last two weeks of podcasts. Um, Your final advice for anybody out there as a teacher, student, performer, looking to learn more about or pass their next audition? I would say just prepare as best as you can. be extremely detailed about how you are practicing and you know just making sure that you are finding the right angle again every single audition that we talked about today has the the person who is listening to you is looking for something else as i just said in high school i'm listening for one thing in a college audition i'm looking for something else in a professional audition it's a a different focus. So you wanna make sure in your practice that you are focused on those things. And then when you walk into the audition, focus on only those things. Don't focus on the result. And that wraps up this episode of The Art of Listening. We want to say thank you guys so much for checking it out. This is The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. On behalf of Gabriel Gordon, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Enjoy the music.